Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, my guest today is Jay Charney, who you can give me the name of your new agency because it sounds like a, a novella. Oh, sure. Uh, Broken Heart Love Affair. Broken Heart Love Affair. It's possibly one of the best names ever. For an agency. <laughs> we'll, go on, we'll go on to the genesis of the naming in a minute. Um, yeah. But for starters, why don't you give us a little bit of your uh, career trajectory, what, what you've been doing up until Sure. This so I've probably been, I would say, out and about working um, for close to 20 plus years now, um, bouncing in and out of advertising uh, and marketing um, in different capacities. So, you know, started my career when the internet was just kind of becoming sort of a mainstream consumer uh, experience and uh, really started selling website development when people didn't even know why they needed a website for a company. Um, that was kind of my first job at a university. The economy was terrible and it was the first thing that was offered to me. And from there I was kind of catapulted because that company was acquired by a post-production firm that was getting into multimedia development um, and that was my kind of my my first entry point into agencies. I ended up working at a really small agency um, in kind of what they called their little their digital team, and from there kind of bounced uh, bounced to to different places, setting up um, primarily web based uh, experiences, and um, got into strategy probably early two thousands at. Uh, a digital agency called uh, Blast Radius, which is an Omnicom-owned agency and headquartered out of Canada, but uh, global. In Calgary, right? In Calgary, that's correct, yeah. And then uh, moved on, or sorry, no, Vancouver is Blast Radius, and then Critical Mass, which is uh, headquartered out of Calgary. Um, And then I left and I went, actually worked for a broadcaster in Canada, doing some things as an executive producer on content um, and then working in mergers and acquisitions and kind of uh, corporate strategic planning. Uh, what, 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 was your, what broadcaster was it? Uh, Chorus Entertainment, which is a Canadian broadcaster um, with uh, an animation studio called Nelvana, um, which distributes shows worldwide. And... Uh, so I was working on on basically uh, a lot of Canadian content, uh, TV and uh, games and, and the like, uh, helped bring HBO to Canada. And uh, then was called back to DDB, uh, to Tribal DDB. They were retooling and somebody I'd worked with at uh, Blast Radius was running the shop and had come to ask me to start the, the, strategy, uh, the strategy team at, at uh, Tribal. And that's when things started really taking off for me from an advertising perspective. And, uh, you know, fast forward, I, I went from, uh, from tribal and DDB to uh, an agency in Montreal called LG2, uh, then to Cassette, where I spent about five years uh, turning Cassette, which is kind of Canada's oldest, largest and independent uh, agency, uh, into um, basically a three-time uh, 
agency of the year for Canada um, and even recognized globally for some a lot of our work. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, the, here I am. That's me is now. Gazette, is Gazette in Montreal? Uh, Cassette is headquartered out of Montreal, and uh, I was working out of Toronto and ran the national strategy team uh, with Cassette. Yeah, I was trying to work out what, how the kind of uh, ecosystem of Canadian agencies works. Mm -hmm. got, a bunch on the, yeah. got a bunch on the West Coast out of Vancouver. You got, yeah. some, you got some, you know, the um, Calgary scene. Yeah. Then you've got a Toronto and a Montreal scene. Yeah, they all have very different flavors. I mean, Toronto really is kind of the center of uh, consumer communications in Canada for the most part. Uh, Montreal has developed a pretty significant uh, presence as well because the Quebec market uh, is, is fairly large and also very specific from a cultural perspective. Um, and then you have kind of a smaller market in Vancouver. Calgary, it's interesting, is very kind of corporate communications-based uh, uh, marketing worlds. It's a lot of headquarters, a lot of tech companies, oil and gas. So a lot of PR and corporate communications coming out of Calgary. Can you um, can you be based in Montreal and be a national agency, or do you need offices across the country? Uh, I, I firmly believe you can you can do it out of Montreal for the for the rest of the country for sure. I mean, there was a day when I think um, to be considered a national agency, you would have to have multiple offices across the country. Um, but I think that perspective changed over the last few years. And I'm sure it's just been kind of, um, you know, fast forwarded through this uh, recent experience. So um, you could do it, you could pull it off for sure. I think, you know, culturally some of the challenges with doing that is Quebec um, is very much a tight knit culture and it's very inward looking and, and very kind of considerate of its own borders. And so uh, I think it would be a tough cultural shift for them to, to accomplish that out of Montreal, but I think it's possible for sure. It seems interesting. I mean, I was there a couple of years ago and I was surprised just, it's a, it's a city built on creativity in many ways. I mean, it seems mm -hmm. that's such a, it's such a beating heart of the place. Yeah. It, it's, you know, uh, design art. Um, it, it, you're right. It is the kind of like the creative hotbed and it. it's, I always thought if you could find a way to meld some of the logic with of uh, Toronto mm. with the um, the creativity and the passion of Montreal, you'd have a magic product. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think there's barriers to, to making that happen, but I think if you could figure out a way, it would be explosive. How, how would you characterize um, Canadian communication you know compared to the u.s is it is it it's distinctly its own obviously you've got mm -hmm. you've got distinct cultures within canada with quebec yeah um but how would you characterize um i mean our budgets are are considerably smaller and you know i think that forces one of two things it forces a level of conservatism um, and, and a bit of pragmatic, uh, pragmatic approach, uh, but it also forces a level of creativity and, and scrappiness. Um, you know, it's funny in my experience at, uh, at DDB, it, often we get called into New York to help them when they felt the budgets were too small to solve the problem. And so it, for us, they were enormous. And it, it's, it's just like, 
you know, our brains have been kind of rewired to, to solve for significantly smaller budgets. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking, I was, I did another interview recently with uh, one of the leading strategists in Sweden. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, the expectation from clients is the agencies do it all. Yes. And, you know, and you know, you don't have layers and layers of strategists, you know, yep. you, you have a generalist who kind of runs the show and, um, you know, as you say, it's a similar situation, budgets are smaller, expectations are that you, that you do everything. His agency, um, Acne, was even has like reps, artists and photographers in-house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when I when I spoke about working at Tribal and DDB, um, you wouldn't hear that probably out of New York, uh, particularly because they were almost like uh, yeah. combative in some respects. But I was really straddling both. I was kind of, you know, uh, you know, oscillating between between the two, and that actually forced me to look at the world differently. And it's kind of how I ended up evolving from somebody that was pretty digital. Uh, to somebody who's a little bit more holistic in in my strategic approach. What were what were some of the um, milestones in 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 making that leap? What helped you get there? I think part of it was the people I was surrounded with, for sure. The other was um, just seeing the commonality of challenges. So obviously, Tribal had uh, clients coming to them for specific problems, um, and DDB at the time as well, but the problems were very similar. Um, and, and, you know, I thought often what I found as a, a challenge for ourselves was that it wasn't just digital that was gonna solve those problems or it wasn't just kind of, you know, above the line or traditional type of advertising that was gonna solve the problem. It was more of a holistic system. And so uh, when it, what happened was I ended up running the both strategy departments uh, and that's when I figured there's not enough of us to to tackle all these problems. So we should uh, to start to kind of really shore up our resources that, you know, having two people on tribals not going to, uh, is not scalable. Uh, I need more than two people um, and the same for GDP. And, you know, then we, we really unlocked this really kind of great kind of creative advantage uh, by the same token we kind of redefined the group in tribal saying, you know, look, we, we're not just a digital agency, we're an agency with a digital background. Mm -hmm. And that shift in mindset for all of us opened up worlds of opportunities. So we went from very tactical um, responses to client problems to much more strategic um, problem solving in, in the sense that, you know, we just looked at it as a communications challenge and there was different ways that we can solve yeah. that in different levers. It's a pretty big shift, right? There's a huge shift. And, you know, that it changed everything. That's when we did our food, your questions. And that's when we started to just win uh, significant amounts of business. I mean, we went up like 400% revenues uh, in months, uh, just in that mindset shift. And then what took you to Cosette then? Um, it, it was interesting. I mean, so I had met the, uh, who is now kind of the, the global CEO of the holding company, uh, Brett Merchant in, in Montreal. And he had told me that he wanted to um, transform Cassette. Cassette at the time, it was interesting because I had an interesting relationship with Cassette. I was at Tribal and we had won most of our business off of Cassette. Um, and so I had kind of, as a part of a team, taken some of the McDonald's business and General Mills business 
away from cassette. And then when I was, you know, approached with the opportunity for cassette, you know, part of that was, was listed as, as some of the challenges that they were facing that they were seen as a very old school agency. Um, the client trust was eroding and they needed to figure out a new path forward. And so they had hired a, an individual, Dave LaFond, who's gone on to create an agency called uh, NFA, um, which has been quite successful in Canada. And I saw that as a signal that he really did want to change because Dave wasn't the obvious choice, I don't think, for a really big uh, kind of old agency in Canada. Um, and they basically said we had carte blanche to do what we needed to do to change the agency. So we knew that it, you know, I learned from that moment in tribal, that mindset set shift and knew that we had to come into cassette with a different mindset and uh, just fill the halls with people with different, uh, different ways of seeing the world. Yeah. And so obviously that was a successful transformation. It was a huge transformation. I mean, it took, um, I think we started, we, second year, we went from being probably what was considered a place where you wouldn't you would go to kind of <laughs> end your career in some respects uh to being agency of the year and not you know basically winning every pitch we were in and um you know doing globally recognized work um it was a pretty significant transformation we had changed out probably about 70 percent of the staff through either natural attrition or um or by bringing in that new people and um and that really was what led to the transformation. I think it was just filling the halls with new blood and new, uh, new energy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I seem to remember Cosette being a powerhouse and at one point in time. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, and then sort of Sidley and taxi and other shops kind of leapfrogged. Perfectly. Yeah. In the nineties, Cosette was, was huge. They did some incredible work. Um, and I think, you know, like anything, you can kind of just start to rest on, on that success and um, yeah, Sidley and there's, you know, there's a lot of great shops. John street rethinks come out of uh, recently has become a really hot shop in, in Canada. So, um, you know, the, the landscape changed pretty quickly on them, but they did a great job of responding and, you know, Brett had the vision to bring in all the right people and to kind of green light uh, those people taking control and just doing what they needed to do to fix it. Yeah. It takes that, doesn't it? It does, yeah, a lot of trust, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of people who, who, who say they want change, and then when, you try to, when people try to implement it, they, that their interpretation of change is different from the guy who's writing the checks. 100%. I mean, there's a big kind of international agency that um, had called me because they tried to change, and they couldn't understand why cassette changed so quickly, and you know, while they were trying to do their transformation, they didn't. And just quickly had a conversation about the people that they chose to bring in place and that, you know, that was it. You know, it was very much, um, you know, that challenge where it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a new mindset and it wasn't, they weren't given the opportunity to really fully change it. Yeah. Um, so, so this new thing, how'd that come about? <laughs> um, well, Carlos Moreno and I, um, had worked together at Cassette for five years and obviously did some great work together. And um, we just had a lot of the same passion. I mean, we were, were people that, while we were in pretty senior positions, also loved doing the work. Um, and it didn't matter how big or small, we just had a real passion for doing the work. And both of us had the same kind of feeling that 
you know, we've accomplished quite a bit or we've, you know, in some respects, um, but we needed a new challenge and we're people that just really thrive in challenge and kind of had a conversation, I can't remember when it was, but it was years ago about maybe the ultimate challenge is seeing if you could put yourself to the test of creating an agency and, and making it successful. And we tabled that for a while and then we got back to it probably about a year ago. Um, and as I started looking at the industry and what was happening in the industry, we realized that, uh, you know, part of the challenges that the clients are facing um, were being precipitated by the fact that agencies were really kind of filling themselves with a lot of junior people. And, uh, you know, I think dictated by um, eroding margins and, and decreased uh, hourly rates. Um, but that that response was actually damaging the relationship with clients and, we sought out to say, well, how do you fix that? And we thought, well, you fix that by bringing in the most senior and uh, kind of talented people into one under one roof. And so we started imagining is like, well, who could those people be? And we created a very kind of short list in Canada and, you know, Denise and Todd came up and I'd worked with Denise and Todd at DDB and love them. They're just like incredibly nice people, incredibly talented and also very passionate. So we approached them and, you know, they, they, they had a lot to think about and they're obviously in very senior positions at BBDO in Toronto uh, and we're also having their own success. And, uh, but over time and over conversations, they started to see the world the way we saw it and realized we really had something in common that we all wanted to continue to do great work and do the work ourselves and uh, to lead by example and to kind of help usher in a new era for the industry in Canada. So, I mean, it was a, bit of an aspirational audition. The two of you guys were kind of started on that on the road a year ago. When did you yeah. bring the other, when did you bring the other guys on board? When did they sign uh, up? Probably we started chatting with them in probably in the summertime and, yeah. uh, and they kind of really started. Um, we started really deep conversations probably in the fall. Um, so just before, yeah, just before the break in, in uh, December, we, kind of had all agreed that this is something we wanted to do together. Um, and then, you know, I'd worked with uh, the other partner, Bev Hammond. I was freelancing for a while as I was building this. And Bev Hammond run, ran an agency in, in Canada and she had everything we needed from an operations perspective because Carlos and I always said, you know, a lot of agencies that are starting up are just two people in a basement and it's kind of that startup culture mentality. And we didn't, see the opportunity as being one of those organizations we, we wanted to be legitimate and real overnight uh, so we needed the operations and we needed the support of a person who understood the operations and Bev had the operations and she has the insane ability to to tightly manage a company and really uh, manage clients in an incredible way so uh, we approached her as well about the same time as uh, Denise and Todd just before uh, just before the holidays while you while you were putting this together, were you having conversations with clients as well? Uh, you know, I had gone out and had uh, many conversations with people that I hadn't met in the past, but without exposing them to the fact that I was about mm -hmm. to create something. You were on a fact-finding mission? A fact-finding mission. I wanted to hear from them what the challenges were. I wanted to see where they thought the opportunities were. And I just wanted to meet people and and, and get to understand their personalities. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. Is that, is that where you, you kind of heard the discontent of the juniorization and stuff? 
Yeah, 100%. I had even heard it before that. I mean, when I was uh, at Cassette, I had clients saying, you know, I just want to work with you guys. I don't, I don't want those other people on my account. Yeah. Um, I just want to, I don't want to pay for that giant office. I just want to pay for you guys. Um, and that was what really was the, uh, the kind of spark for me um, back then. But uh, yeah, no, we, we didn't talk to clients too much. We, you know, Carlos and I locked ourselves in a room and on weekends and really started just kind of creating what we thought it could be. So, so, so January 2020 rolls around and have you got a date for your launch and everything? Is that? Um, yeah, January 2020 rolls around and we, uh, we're all in agreement that this is going to happen and that we want this to happen. And obviously these are, you know, all my partners are all very senior people with, uh, business relationships that they need to, uh, um, that they needed to, to exit from in a very respectful and, uh, in honest manner so they you know they had had conversations with their respective uh, companies and then we just had to sit and wait and we knew the dates and the uh, the end dates for for some of those agreements and that was going to be our our launch date what day was that uh it was in april it was actually it was just slightly after when we uh just in time for my birthday in fact um my birthday is april 9th so i was like we were ready to, to do it for that. And Denise's is in the second week of April. So we wanted to do it for the first week of April. Um, and so, you know, we had had a plan and, and it was funny because COVID didn't change that plan too much. Um, we just stuck to the plan. We worked the plan as they say. Did you, did, you have an, did you have an office in your plan? Yeah, so we, because we actually, uh, because Bev had the, the uh, existing agency, we uh, acquired the assets of that agency. Okay which included office and account people and back office systems and uh, uh, finance people. Um, and so we acquired that, that and some of the clients as well. Um, so yeah, we have an office uh, actually right near cassette. So, so what's going through your mind is, uh, as the craziness is, is happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, Denise and Todd joke and say, well, we quit our jobs and nobody's going to hire us now. No turning back. So we, we, there's no turning back. We just got to jump. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen. And, and it's funny because we still haven't yet to all work in the same office together. Yeah. Um, no, we haven't. And the good news is we all know each other very well. I and mean, there's a really crazy relationship between Carlos and Denise in that uh, Carlos's old partner of 20 years, Peter Ignazzi, who's still the CCO, um, the global CCO of Cassette, um, is also Denise's husband. Okay. And so, small world in Canada. Exactly, such a <laughs> very incestuous little industry. Um, but uh, so Denise and Carlos are very well familiar with each other. And so we have a really strong connection. And I think that was what what made it a little bit easier at the beginning. I don't know if it would have been as easy if we didn't know each other quite as well, but we all know each other so well that um, we just, we had so much faith in each other's abilities and the drive and passion that we knew we could make, make it happen. And we kind of got thrown in like the first week, um, one of our clients is Kids Help Phone, which is a not-for-profit in Canada, uh, a tech support line for kids uh, kind of just struggling with, uh, uh, you know, challenges, um, and uh, they the, the number of texts that were 
being requested from kids had gone up about 500%. And so we were briefed with our first project. Basically, when you say kids, you really mean like teenagers mainly, right? Teenagers, yeah. It, basically, eight to twenty-four is what they they yeah. serve in Canada. It's kind of an institution. It's yeah, something I grew up with as a, a brand that I was so well known to me and kind of had recently gone a little bit quiet. Mm -hmm. um, but they briefed us, and that was kind of our first thing. And we didn't have much time to think. We just acted. We were creating over text more than even Zoom. Uh, we weren't really using anything other than text to create and it was 24 7 and uh, we were able to get a campaign out in four days over text amazing even though the production community had shut down yeah yeah what a great client. what a great client to uh to start off with I mean, it's amazing i mean it's uh it, it you know it's something near and dear to all of us and carlos and i had worked on sick kids uh, in canada and so obviously um you know, something that we are still very much uh, drawn to is kind of, um, you know, using our abilities to, to help organizations that help kids was something that was really near and dear to us. And um, Denise and Todd had worked with Right to Play and there's something very similar for them as well. So there's a lot of passion for it. And they're just amazing people. Yeah, there's a similar organization called Crisis Text Line. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm aware of them. Yeah. They, those guys, they just do amazing work. I mean, and they well, I, from the people in the US, they, I mean, they, they do this amazing training program. And I mean, they literally, they, I mean, they save lives. I mean, these people, these volunteers. Yes, 100%. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, um, I, I had this conversation with the CEO of Kids Health Fund, and I said, you know, by your presence, you probably save lives. And yeah. it's one of those weird circumstances where if you do a great job on advertising, you know, you may not need to do anything more than have a kid just see that ad and know that you exist in this world for them that can save a life yeah no it's, it's good that's, that's great work so you so um talk about the name of it talk, talk about the naming and the process that went into uh, coming up with the name was that was there a few were there a few virtual beers involved there are a few. <laughs> actually the name um we had come up with uh last summer we landed on it um, and, uh, I was on, <laughs> I was on the dock at my summer home and, uh, was just laying, uh, laying out in the sun, having a beer and, um, Carlos and I were texting and trying to figure out a really unique name. And, you know, I said, look, if we can't create a name that doesn't get people to ask why, um, and, and want to know the story, then how can we do that for, for brands? So we need to make this name something that's both memorable, a little bit crazy, uh, but also gets people to ask the question why. But more importantly, that is rooted in our why. And I always thought it was interesting and odd that agencies push clients to find their why, but their names are typically uh, about the what or the who or the where, uh, and rarely about their why. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to make this name about our why. And you know, we talk about the industry as, we have a lot of passion for it and um you know we we have our hearts broken all the time we come up with these ideas that we all think are amazing and i'm sure you've been there and you're super excited yeah. and then the client crushes that dream in half a second without even a thought and and you're 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 beaten down and you're ready to give up but what's amazing about people in this industry and what's you know what drives us is to kind of pick ourselves back up and find a way and find something new and find something better and that's where the love affair part comes in is we have such passion to keep going and in some ways you know 
I think the industry has been going through a tough period and we look at it as a bigger kind of purpose of finding a new and better way similar to the work to answering some of the challenges that have been facing advertising for the last few years. So on a kind of a grander scale, that's kind of what's driving us forward. And, and everyone, I mean, you, you, no one, no one disputed the name into none of your group disputed the name or, <laughs> or do you have to sell it? No, actually it's funny because, you know, Carlos and I came up with it. And when we were talking with uh, Denise and Todd, we put it in front of Denise and Denise is a writer and we kind of, we hid it from her and then we revealed it one night in a bar and she just looked at us. She goes, I wanted to hate it. I wanted to hate it so much. The writer in me wanted to craft it and I can't hate it. It's so crazy. Um, and, you know, there was a day where it was like, is it too crazy? Are we being too weird? Are we tipping too out there? Um, and we sat on it and we were like, okay, well, we're going to do the exercise of trying to beat it. So we tried to beat it for a week and we couldn't. And we're like, that's it. It's the name. We love it. Um, and so it stuck. So, I mean, you guys put like a lot of planning, a lot of thought into, mm -hmm. into what you're doing. Yes. And then we roll in. I'm, I'm sure you guys had like a bunch of like really clever ways to tease your introduction. And I mean, maybe I would, and if I was in your position, I would definitely have been thinking about how can we make a splash? We've got a great yes. name. We've got great talent. And then suddenly this COVID thing comes in and you're like, can we really do this? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, did that happen? Yeah, I mean, we had um, everything. We had this amazing idea for our logo. Um, we had an amazing photo shoot lined up. We were going to do like a big video. We're, we had parties planned. We had everything planned. Um, and then everything collapsed. And we couldn't do the shoot. We couldn't do the logo, although that's done now. And um, so we just had to respond. We had to kind of adapt. I think in some ways, um, it made it challenging from that perspective because it changed those plans. But I think we actually, the coverage um, and the splash part um, was helped in part by COVID uh, because when we launched, there was a lot of kind of just fear, I think, in the industry. And a lot of the conversations were around potential layoffs and, and layoffs in general um, and clients slowing budgets down. And so we were like, we had conversations about whether we even announced, you know, was it, is it too kind of uh, self-serving to go out right now and, and celebrate the fact we're launching, you know, while people are potentially losing their jobs. Um, but we, we, we thought about it and we said, well, wait a minute, like we could actually be a bit of a beacon of hope and maybe show people a path forward who are going through these moments of, of being laid off. And, you know, maybe the opportunity isn't necessarily to go back or find a new agency, but, to, to launch your own thing. And, uh, you know, if we could pull it off, maybe others can too. Yeah. I mean, this was, that's why I found inspiring about your story, you know, it, it is exactly that, you know, so many people are, uh, are being thrown out of their places and, 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 you know, sort of being forced to become freelancers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think the number in the States of marketing, like communication, it's, it's 36,000. Yes. Yeah, is the number ad age came up with, and yeah. uh, you know that's a lot of people. And uh, yeah. yeah, and and you you sort of you've kind of got this um, 
weird thing going on is you said you've got these large agencies which are just pushing thousands of people out yeah and more and more rampant juniorization and then you've got small agencies who are struggling with cash flow yes uh, and then you've got a bunch of freelancers and um you know i always it always struck me when I, i've been in the states for 20 years it always struck me that entrepreneurialism and, and i don't know enough about canada but i assume in, i call it north america yeah it, you know, it, it, it's more ingrained in North America than it is in Europe. And, yeah. and, and the idea of a creative team getting, getting pissed off <laughs> <laughs> at their creative director and hanging up a, shing, <laughs> hanging up a shingle is it, usually the genesis of, yes. uh, of an agency. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in the UK, it's kind of a thoughtful process. Yes. Um, and I don't know if you've read about the new agency um, that the Adam and Eve guys mm -hmm. set up. Yes. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a story that said you know it used to be a planner, um, a creative, and account man who set up an agency. Now it takes ten. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and but you know the absent in most agencies, as you said, I mean you think you were touching upon it is this distinctive point of view. Mm -hmm. What makes you different? What make, what is it you're doing that stands out? And I, and I think you have to contextualize that. You have to put it into this moment in time. And it almost, in a way, the crisis kind of elevates your story. Yes. Because, I mean, it's magnified. The crisis has magnified the problems that exist inside advertising. Yes. Um, it's magnified the challenges for marketers. 100%. And so, you know, it's, a, it, it's probably, you know, not such a bad thing that this has happened for you guys. I mean. No, for sure, you're right. And the conversations we're having, you know, obviously our promise is really around, um, our focus is, is really around, I would say, kind of, you know, brand advertising, uh, creativity. Um, and just reconnecting with consumers' hearts, you know, finding a way to to reconnect with consumers in a way that they love advertising again. And that's kind of our mission is to make everybody fall in love with advertising again from the clients, the way they experience the agency to consumers and the way they experience ads. Um, and even the creative and kind of advertising community, production community, um, for them to fall in love with it again. I think a lot of us have gotten away from that. Um, but we believe there's going to be a resurgence in brand advertising. Um, you know, a lot of the numbers coming out of the IPA are starting to, to indicate that there needs to be, um, so like the, the articles from, uh, and comments from Adidas to McDonald's in the U S and he had, I would even point to the acquisition of Droga, you know, at the price they were acquired by, by Accenture all points to, uh, creativity and, and brand, uh, creativity more specifically coming back in a very big way. Um, and that was a bet we made, but it's interesting. COVID's actually kind of amplified that need and that sense of needing to reconnect on an emotional level with consumers. And yeah. so we're having a lot of those conversations now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You've seen the clutter reel of uh, yes, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Bad emotional advertising. Yeah, I mean that, that that shows the sort of dearth of creativity. I mean, my personal belief is that creativity is a secret weapon. Yes. But you have to you have to be able to apply it in more avenues these days, um, and that's why I think the opportunity lies. 
You do, yeah. And I think um, more places, I also think in a, a more in, impactful way, I think we need to more than ever be thoughtful about how we move consumers and, and why we're moving consumers emotionally the way we are. I think you used to be able to get away with just putting a celebrity in and you know having a funny line and connecting it to the product. I don't think it works that way anymore. Um, consumers are becoming much more savvy. I was in a group in Chicago once and there was like a 14 year old kid and I, it was the most eye-opening statement I've ever heard in a research group but the kids said, you know, look, I understand what you're getting out of this. What do I get out of it? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, and I think that I've always carried that in my heart as someone with the kid's face. And, you know, I think about that as, as I think about the work that we're doing is what do I get out of that? This is a consumer. And I don't think the industry has really thought about that a lot over the last few years. Yeah. It's, it's really sort of, um, there's really two worlds that have not melded together. You no. know, like, like you've got the digital world that is increasingly becoming a machine, mm -hmm. a data driven machine of crap. Um, and then you've got the advertising world that seems to be diminished to the point that the Super Bowl is the only time that anything interesting gets done. Yes. And there's kind of like, there's no, then you've got the channels. I mean, you look at, look at the creativity on TikTok. Look at some of the creativity on Instagram. Yeah. There's no one really, you know, finding a way of, of bringing those very uh, dialogue driven, interactive driven environments into advertising. It's advertising to me sort of is kind of still stuck in authorship. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, back, back years ago, we did this, we did this campaign for Converse at Butler. Yeah. Where we sort of turned ourselves into a production company and it was because of the first UGC thing. Yes. Um, and that worked, you know, it, just, it just worked for that brand really, really well in a way that I don't think other efforts have done because there just isn't that authenticity. Yeah. Um, but it seems that, how do you, like video gaming is an interesting analog as well. I mean, those guys, the consumers love video games because they're active participants. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I think, um, you know, when you look at, at those worlds, I, I often look at less at what the people are doing. Um, and I've always kind of like coming from a digital background, I've always said to like, what people are doing is less important than why they're doing it. And if you can understand why they're engaged, why they're engaged with video games, what, what are they emotionally getting out of video games, then you can understand how to create for those people. Um, it, goes back, it goes back to your 14 year old boy quote. That's know? exactly it, right? If you fixate on what they're doing and you're just trying to create for that environment, then you're never going to create anything that actually provides any value to them. Yeah. You need to hit on that emotional level, whatever that emotion is that those kids are getting from the, or the adults are getting from the games. Um, that's what you need to, you need to connect with them on that level. So um, that's always been the focus for me as well. And I agree with you. It's like, there are places um, where people are finding great levels of connectivity and uh, inspiration. And uh, I think we just need to get better at figuring out why they're inspired by them. Yeah. When you, when you think of when you think about a new business is, is, I, I don't know. It, I mean, I think I remember the time when the trade magazines were just full of pictures and reviews, either something's in a review. Yeah. 
somebody's winning something, someone's losing something. That was kind of like the news. And it's not really the news anymore, right? You don't read about that stuff. Yes. Um, I don't know if you read, there was um, Contagious did the story of the, um, the work the FCB did um, with uh, Burger King. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, the, the mobile campaign. Yes. Yeah. And it was all over email with the client. And the, the strategy, the insight was McDonald's has more restaurants than you. Yeah. And the real hot heavy lifting was the legal work. Yeah. You know, that was a year and a bit of the technology stuff. Yeah. It just seems like a completely radically different way of working with a client. Completely. And, you know, it's funny, as you say, um, you know, I did the uh, Our Food Your Questions campaign with McDonald's and I'm going to tie this back to what you were saying with the UGC stuff, but what, and even like TikTok and, and other platforms. But what I've always found fascinating was brands have to kind of play by some form of rules and, and they go through filters, but um, there's a magic to UGC, which is pure chaos and almost craziness and unfiltered commentary that is really attractive and uh, when you're competing with this kind of crazy sexy world of of anything goes with a kind of a legal lens of we can't say this and we can't do this and we can't show this uh, you're going to lose that battle almost every time um, because it's just much more you're, it's, you're more more likely as a consumer to gravitate towards something that's new and different and challenging than you are something that's been seen or been filtered the way that most kind of advertising is. So I applaud, you know, Fernando Hurtado and, uh, and, and FCB and, you know, and the other agencies that have been working on Burger King because they've been doing a great job of just breaking through some of those traditional filters of what it means to be a, a, a QSR marketer. Yeah. I mean, he, he's done a, he's done a great job of like um, helping the, uh, the organization understand the power I mean, they, mm -hmm. they truly are a challenger brand, mm -hmm. 100%. And, you know, challenger brands behave, you know, they have license to behave differently, but you've got to sell that in. You've got to convince your organization that you have a right to play, um, Precisely. And a right to push the envelope. Um, and you know, he's done it. I mean, that's masterful because, you know, step by step, he's taken them through that and he's won the confidence of his peers. Yes. And that's, not, that's not an easy job. Um, you know, but so you guys see yourselves pitching, do you see yourself winning project work? How, how do you see yourself growing? Um, I mean, a, a bit of a blend of both. I think, you know, any great, any great creative, um, needs inspiration through, uh, exposure to different things. So different challenges and, and different opportunities. And I think project works really good for that. I think, you know, winning business through kind of a stable AOR relationship is also highly desirable um, because you get to know the brand over time and you can kind of evolve uh, any kind of platform that you would develop uh, and, and help build on the success that you might be having. So I think a, a blend of both is something that we're, we're really interested in. We just want to work on great challenges with great clients. I mean, we, it, it sounds trite, but I don't think it is. It's we, you know, we've been lucky to get, some really great clients in who see value in us and see value in kind of in creativity and have 
passion for it. And, you know, we want to kind of continue down that road. We're less concerned about who and more concerned about what they believe. Um, but we've been, we've been growing mostly uh, like in the last, well, we launched probably about a month and a half ago, I'd say, uh, mostly through project work to this point. And slowly we're getting opportunities from an AOR perspective. You said, you said earlier that you acquired, you acquired an, an existing agency. We did. Yeah. So um, how many people did that bring in? Uh, so we have, uh, right now we have 11 people in total in the shop uh, full time and we have some freelance help, but uh, it's 11 people in full time right now. And so, you know, you've, you've yeah, you've got, you've got an organization with a culture, right? That's exactly it. <laughs> you're, trying to, you're trying to build virtually. We're trying to build virtually and we're doing, I actually received a text the other day um, saying, you know, the, they could, people can see the culture kind of on the outside and they're loving it. It's been hard, but um, because, you know, you get, you get tired and lazy over, um, over Zoom. Um, and, but uh, we're doing a great job of just everybody staying connected, everybody staying very positive. Uh, and I think, you know, when we get back to being together, it's going to just make us even stronger. So, yeah, we've built a, a really great culture up to this point. And we're, it's funny because there's nothing like, a, you know, having a foe to, to solidify a team. So we have a, an enormous foe right now, um, all of us do, but uh, as a company we do certainly. So we're all fighting it together and I think that's really kind of forming this kind of really great culture that we have right now. You mentioned earlier, you said you guys have, you guys have a pretty tight bond, kind mm -hmm. of leadership team. Yes. Um, what, what, what do you think you've learned was, you know, when you have tight bonds with people, it's super easy to go into their office or yeah. take them to a bar and now you can't do that. So what's been really good substitutes? Have you found workarounds or hacks that kind um, of allow you to, to get some of that? I don't know that we have outside of what we've been, <laughs> what everybody else is doing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's funny. We, the, the partners we're texting each other nonstop and, but yeah. not just about work. We're just like random, random thoughts. You yeah. know, somebody, somebody just comes up with a weird saying and they just text somebody because they need to get it out of their heads. I think you know, the frequency of, of kind of connections and, uh, the diversity of connections are always helpful, but you know, outside of the typical kind of zoom things, we're not doing anything. I would say that's our extraordinarily special, um, and, and new or groundbreaking. Yeah. But I mean, it's just the, it's, it's sort of like going through, yeah, going through a shipwreck or going through totally. uh, you know, something going through an experience together. That's not just forming a company, but going through this, forming a company and going through this together, you're going to come out stronger the other side. 100%. I mean, we've been, we've been fortunate to be so busy um, and with so much work right now. Um, I think we've added uh, 10 new clients in the last couple of weeks. Um, but we've been working so much that, um, and this is partly a, a challenge for us as well, is that we've just been doing the work. Um, and, and kind of growing through the work. Um, but I think there's challenges with that where we, there's things we're ignoring and things we might find in a couple months we should have been paying attention to. So we're, we kind of took a stop and, and a breath and said we need to refocus on 
you know, building something that we should have been focused on building and we would have been focused on if we were together. Mm -hmm. So if, if you would think, if, if, if there are guys and girls listening to this um, who some kind of going through their mind is actually, I want to start an entity or I, mm -hmm. what, what, what do you think some of the steps and some of the things they should be thinking about um, to do that? You know, obviously you're a big advocate for, you know, certainly depending on what stage of your career you're in, yeah. but, um, you're a big advocate to the idea of creating an entity, but what are the things you need to think about? Um, I, I've always said to the people that asked me that question, even before starting my own thing, I think this is a profile business. Um, it's a, you know, building your, your profile is critical to your future success and, and, um, because, you know, everybody likes to buy into a known quantity. We're in the business of branding. Um, and so, you know, begin by branding yourself and, and getting out there and putting yourself out there. Um, but having a unique perspective or your own perspective, at least on what's happening in the world and what that means to, to marketers. And I think if you can crystallize what that perspective is, then you have the nugget of something you know, that you can kind of build off of because you can start to find the customers that, you know, that will uh, gravitate towards that, that idealism, regardless of what your perspective is on what's happening in the industry. I mean, ours is around brand building and creativity and connecting with uh, consumers' hearts, but it could be anything. It's not the right, the only way. And uh, so I think if finding that piece, I think finding partners, I going alone is a really kind of a, it's a tough journey, as you pointed out earlier. Um, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, three people, you know, and from each of the kind of divisions. Um, but I think it's it takes more, and you know, the more people you have supporting, and the more kind of tentacles you have out in the world, the more opportunities will come to you. Um, I always look at it as, in advertising, we are the product. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and when you come to that realization, you understand that. Great agencies are, are really only great agencies because of the people within the hallways and their kind of connection with each other. And that's what creates that greatness. Um, and so if you understand that, then, you know, you can form an agency. The brand is partly irrelevant. The brand will become what, what you make it over time. Um, and so that, that would be my point of inspiration for anybody is, is find um, find that one thing that you're going to offer and the one thing you believe about where the industry is going, um, understand it, find the right people that also believe in it and bring it forward and, and, you know, build your profile. Um, building profile is the most critical thing to success. I think. Yeah. It seems like, you know, this is your, um, third endeavor, you know, like, the DDB transformation, because that transformation, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it, I'm sure you, you, you're a real believer in team. It seems to me that clients buy teams, they don't buy individuals. Yeah, it's a, I always, it's a team sport for sure. I mean, the greatness comes from the kind of this amazing kind of kinetic energy between, you know, people and thoughts um, and uh, yeah. Uh, you look at all the great agencies around the world and, you know, it's not one person, it's, it's multiple people that made that place great. Um, and it's the interaction of those people that make that place great. Yeah. 
what do you uh, what do you see? Do you, do you see uh, when do you think about returning to, to actually going into the office? When do you think that might happen? <laughs> we're already there. I was there today. Okay. Um, yeah, um, we're fortunate in Canada. Things are starting to ease up a bit right now. Yeah. Um, and so, and we have a sizable office for staff. So. Um, there are regulations, but uh, Carlos and I were in the office today working on on some of the work. Um, but you know, the challenge is obviously a lot of the people have kids, and so they won't be able to get back for a while. Yep. Um, I can't wait for it. I'm like I'm missing that. I I kind of miss. Uh, there's a part of me that that needs that inspiration of being around other people. You know, I I don't firmly believe that we're going to go back to a virtual working. Uh, environment uh, forever because I think people need people around them to do great things so I can't wait to be around Denise and Todd and Bev and Carlos and the rest of the team and just be inspired by their craziness yeah I was listening to a, I was listening to, listening to an interview with uh, Kathy Ryan who's the the photo editor at the New York magazine mm -hmm. magazine yeah and she was talking about the physicality of making a magazine it's yeah. about taking shots, putting them on the wall, taking copy, looking at type, looking at design. It's a very yeah. much an analog to our process. And when you take that away, you take that away, you take that room away, you take the, the, the four people looking at the wall, moving things around. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to replace that. There's something yeah. that's very kinetic about that work. You know, when you're looking yeah. at work for the first time or, you know, and the, the, your creative is taking you through it or you're building yeah. a deck or yeah. all those yeah. things that you, we just can't do that virtually. You know? 100%. And a lot of our process is just spending some time just bullshitting each other and, you know, not even talking about the problem, but in kind of those, those moments, you come out of it and there's like just amazing ideas. It's hard to kind of pull it off when you're, you know, on Zoom, you're setting purposeful conversations. You're not spending that time just kind of, you know, making fun of, of, of each other or seeing yeah, yeah. random. The banter, we, the banter, as we say in England. The banter, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your, for your time and your yeah, uh, you. and uh, telling me the story. I wish you guys the best of luck. It's, it sounds really exciting. I can, I can sense the energy, enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, so you guys are going to go far. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was really good chatting with you. Immediately. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let you know when we uh, when we put this live and awesome get around. Love it. Thank you so much again. Yeah, nice to meet you and All good the luck. best. Yeah, take care. Bye. This is your host Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.